We're going to open up God's Word today. We're going to continue in a study, a little over a year now, I think, uh, that we're going through the book of Luke. We're going to be in Luke 11 today, but but as you're getting Bibles out, um, and if you don't have a Bible, you're certainly welcome to grab one out of the seat box. Seat back pockets. Let's try that again. Uh, they're in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible, please take that home as our gift to you. We're going to I just want to describe someone to you and I want you to think in your mind. What is the guy who's who's doing it right? I picked a guy just because it happened to be a guy lady. What do they look like? I wrote down a few things. Don't you track with me? I want you to kind of assess this person's spiritual content as we go through. He believes the Bible. He believes it's totally true. He believes it's to be totally obeyed. When people in culture say, no, no, that, that doesn't fit anymore, he stands on the scriptures without even hesitating. He's opposed to those religious groups that were selling out to culture, watering things down. He's always sought to stand for truth. He loves his wife. He loves his kids. He he seeks to teach them about God's Word and help them learn the Bible. As a matter of fact, his son has memorized almost two books of the Bible. He's about 12 years old. He studies the best religious writers out there. He reads, he learns. I mean, if the book comes out and it's a good solid, you know, he checks out. I mean, he makes sure it's the solid one. He grabs those, you know, they know him by name at Lifeway. Faithfully attends worship every week. Participates as much as he could. He's, he's not on staff or anything like that, but he's there setting up the chairs and cleaning up afterwards. He works hard at his job every day. Very, very faithful. He's a leader around his job, and everyone respects him. Sound like a pretty good list? Is that who we want to be? Obviously, the the lady equivalent for our ladies. Here's the problem. I just read off the description of a first century Pharisee. Listen to what Jesus says to him. Luke chapter 11, starting in verse... 37. It's on page 870 if you have one of the, the black pew Bibles there or pew. Still saying pews. We've not had pews for eight years. The church I started preaching in used to have pews. They were kind of an odd color too. But anyway, the chair back pockets there. Luke chapter 11, verse 37. It's on page 870. Listen to what Jesus says. While he was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and he reclined at the table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash his hands before dinner. Now, don't think cleanliness. We'll go into what that means here in just a minute. But this is a religious ceremony. Verse 39. And the Lord said to him, Now, you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish. But inside, you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make also the inside? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees! For you tithe the mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. 
These things you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves. The people walk over them without knowing that. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you, lawyers also! For you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. You are witnesses and consent with the deeds your fathers, for they killed them and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves and you've hindered those who were entering. As he went away from there, the scribes and Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. This is a hard text. All the, you know, Sunday school pictures where Jesus is, you know, whiter than me and the, you know, he's got product in his hair. I mean, he's, he's, you know, that guy and this isn't that Jesus. Um, that Jesus did never exist. This is a hard driving passage and if you're like me i read this passage the first time i read it and you know, oh yeah those guys are bad but what i want you to see this morning is what i've had to deal with all week and just keeps hitting me harder and harder as i go is it's not those guys out there or those ladies out there that this passage is talking about it it's it's me See, that, that description I read, that is textbook Pharisee. They believed the Scriptures. They didn't have the New Testament. They had the Old Testament. And they were the group who were holding out, saying, no, no, the Scripture's true when everybody else was starting to question. They were the group. We're not talking the denomination who's, who you know invites in forms of immorality and says, yeah, it's okay. Or, or who changes their, their doctrine based on what's going on in the the present tide. This wasn't the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the one holding strong. The Pharisees were the family people. These were the people who loved their spouses, took care of their kids, taught their kids God's Word. That was very, very specific to what they did. The Pharisees, by the way, were not like clergy. They, they weren't pastors. They didn't have pastors. And they weren't priests. They weren't even the leaders oftentimes in the synagogue. They were lay people. They were people who said, we're going to stand on God's Word. We want to be God's people. And Jesus beats the snot out of them in this passage. He lashes them up one side and down the other. And then another group says, hey, we're kind of similar. You're being mean to... Yep, you're too. He goes at them. And the key thing of this whole text, what we have to understand 
Jesus wasn't going at them because they believed the Bible. He wasn't going at them because they happened to be conservative. He was going at them because they missed the point of all the Scriptures. The point of all the Old Testament, and, and it's pretty exciting. I don't know if y'all have noticed, if you're in Bible study at 9 o'clock in the morning, we've been going through the Old Testament. We finish the Old Testament next Sunday morning. We, we're, we're in Malachi. Um, actually, the Hebrew pronouncing is Malachi, but uh, people make fun of you if you say it that way to teachers, so just be careful. We're in Malachi. We're finishing up the Old Testament. And what everybody looked forward to in that time was the day that Jesus Christ's foot stepped onto this earth. The moment He opened His mouth to teach. The moment He went into the desert to be tempted by Satan to fulfill all righteousness for us. See, all those people, Moses, when he wrote down the laws that God gave him, Moses wasn't hopeful in the law. And Moses wasn't hopeful in his ability to keep that law. He knew he was a murderer. He knew he was short-tempered. Moses was hopeful in the Savior who would fulfill that law. The Passover lamb who would come, who would be sacrificed instead of the firstborn son. So all this law was looking forward to the day Jesus came. And Jesus was here and the people most dedicated to the law had no clue who He was. They completely missed the point. So we're going to kind of work through this text. We're going to work through verses 37 through 41. And just I want to give a couple explanations and I want to read you something. And and I promise I'm not making this up. This is one of those you can't make this kind of stuff up. It's too good. I, I We were in the office this week and Chad knows I just had to say out somebody's writing my sermon for me. Um, when, when I found this and actually started doing some research on the Pharisees in this text. But uh, let's go back to 37. We're going to kind of pick apart that first little bit. So Jesus was speaking. A Pharisee asked him to dine with him. But that's a good thing. All right. This is not what he gets in trouble for. So he went in and reclined at the table. That was their tradition. They didn't sit. They actually had cushions. They would, it would be much more like um, kind of a, a Central Asian culture today where they, they sit around on cushions at the table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash his hands before dinner. And again, kids, this doesn't mean you don't get to wash your hands when your mama says before. That's not the point of the passage. Let's just get that on the table here. All right. It was a ceremonial thing. This wasn't about cleanliness. Before they started their ceremonies, they were already washed, you know, dressed for dinner, so to speak. But I want to read you. um, This is a rabbi. I, I pulled it off the one that was in English. So my Hebrew is a little rusty. Um, that's a joke. I was never good at Hebrew. Um, but the rabbi's procedure for washing your hands prior to eating. So here's the procedure to eat some bread. This is not a full meal, mind you. You got to do more for that. This is bread. You want a little snack? You want some? need some carbs? If you're eating a small amount of bread defined as less than an egg's worth of bread, i.e. less than the size of an egg or a weight of an egg, depending on which rabbi you talk to, then do not use a blessing. If you're eating more than an egg's worth of bread, then you need to use a blessing. If you have a ring on, and I feel naked up here. I forgot my ring um, this morning. I've been doing some, I was doing some staining yesterday. But if you have a ring on and it has 
any kind of stone in it, you must remove that before you wash. If it's solid metal, you don't, you can leave your ring on. Make sure you get that right. Do not speak from the time you begin washing until the time you say the blessing. You also should not speak after the blessing until you begin to eat the bread, but that's less important. So if you miss that and speak before you eat the bread, you do not have to restart. But if you speak before the blessing, you must restart. You must use running water placed into a cup that is not stoneware. It has to be metal. It is helpful for the cup to have two handles so that you can quickly switch hands in the cup. I don't know where you buy a two-handled cup, but apparently they're out there. You pour the water over your hands from the wrist to the tip of your middle finger each time or it does not count. If there's a drought, you only have to wash from your wrist to your knuckles. You must cover each hand twice. Take the towel behind both hands. Hold them level with your head so that the water does not fall from below your wrist to the tip of your fingers as that would be unpurified and you would have to start the washing over. You speak the blessing, then you dry your hands, now eat your bread. Like I say, they wrote the sermon for me here. None of that's in the scripture, by the way. This Pharisee, you didn't do it right, Jesus! You didn't wash your hands before you ate. And by the way, even to this day, the Orthodox Jews, who by the way are the descendants of the Pharisees, the, the Orthodox Jews that we see, these, these are the Pharisees' descendants. Jesus, you didn't wash your hands. You're not pure. You're not clean. Because you didn't do the ceremony. And Jesus looks at him and says this, Verse 39, the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and then of the dish, but the inside are full of greed and wickedness. All right. So around our house, we, Rollo and I knew we were supposed to get married when we were talking about, you know, household chores and all this. We were engaged by this time and she hates unloading the dishwasher and I hate loading the dishwasher. We are truly the perfect couple. Um, so I'm always I, I always unload the dishwasher. And um, you know that moment when you're, you're unloading, you're going through, and you pull out the plate and it, and it, or bowl or something like that, and it looks clean, and then all of a sudden you got the, the dried ketchup stain, you know, that's, that just wouldn't come off. And now it's all crusty and chunky because it's gone through. That's what Jesus is saying. It's like, you guys, why? oh, it's pretty on the outside. And you got the chunky ketchup, you know, I don't falafel. I don't know what they had in their dishes. It's, it's like grind into the inside of this thing. That's not a clean dish. No, I mean, okay, if it was on the outside, I mean, yeah, my kids would eat off of it. But I mean, even on the inside, no, no. He says, this is what you're like. You're, you're scrubbing all this, you know, and, and, But on the inside, you're grimy. You're not clean. Don't say you're pure and clean. You're not clean because the inside's not clean. Verse 40, you fools. Did you hear what Jesus called them? You fools. And fool, we sometimes think of a fool 
It's not quite the insult. If we say, you know, we say somebody's being foolish when, you know, they're trying to do some trick as a teenager and, you know, being goofy and they're going to hurt themselves. That's, that's not a Bible fool. A, a Bible fool is someone who has rejected the wisdom of God. They've just said, yeah, I know what the Bible says. Forget it. I'm going to do my own thing. That's a fool. Just, you fool. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? I mean, the answer to that, it's a obvious. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the whole point is the inside of the cup, right? I mean, if all we had were the outsides of cups, they had no inside, there's no point to a cup, right? And Jesus said, don't you get it? You're missing the main part. Yeah, you want the outside clean. But the whole point is what's inside. Verse 41, but give us alms. Those things are that within. Behold, everything is clean for you. Jesus was explaining that the Pharisees may have been moral. They may have looked good, cleaned up nice. They may have been the person. I mean, y'all, y'all know who I'm talking about here. The, the, the family or that, that group that always comes in and like they come in on Sunday mornings and everybody's like smiling and happy and all the kids are like behaving angelically and then they sit there and, and like they're perfect. Their kids didn't scream once in the middle of church, you know. I mean, they didn't, you know, there was no discipline when you're going to the bathroom. I mean, there's none of that. They're just, they look good. But Jesus says, that's, that's not it. That means you're moral. And, and by, I mean, that's a good thing. But you're not godly. They did lots of things that they thought were good and they had determined were good. But inside, their hearts were still cursed and pulled down by sin. So Jesus proceeds to speak six woes to them. So let's talk. We don't use that word woe a whole lot in English. I don't know that I have ever just spoken woe when I'm uh, writing. You know, I just finished my dissertation. The word woe is not in there. Uh, I mean, so what woe was? We just don't have one word in English that gets it. It's a condemnation. It's, It's you're going to hell. That's what he's saying to them. But it's not a condemnation of you dirty dog, you're going to hell. It's, you're going to hell. Do you not understand? Stop, stop. It's this condemnation, but it's a condemnation out of grief. Out of compassion. Out of what what are you doing? So every time he speaks this, it's hard. These Pharisees would have got exactly what he was saying. He was saying, you're not good with God. You are going to hell. But they also would have got, he's not angry about that. He's worried about them. So listen to what he says. There are six of them. So I, I want to start. This is where your, your outline in your bulletin starts if you're taking notes. If you are a moralist, these six things are true about you as well. So here's what I mean by a moralist. I, I want to recommend a book to you. 
It's called Counterfeit Gospels. It's by Trevin Wax. He's a, a, one of the lead preaching pastors at um, Third Baptist down in Murfreesboro. He's also editor for all our gospel project, the, the curriculum we use for Bible study. He spoke, uh, preached here before. Great, great guy uh, and a friend. And he wrote a book about all these false gospels that, that just tend to pull our heart. And he describes one, he calls it the moralistic gospel. He says the moralistic gospel is the gospel that says good little boys and good little girls go to heaven. And we wouldn't say it like that. We're too sophisticated. We know too much of the scripture. Oh, yes, yes. Believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. But then our minds think be good, get to heaven. Our minds think, okay, have I done enough good this week that I'm not going to get fired from my job? Have I been so bad this week that I'm getting cancer? Do my, does my good ultimately outweigh my bad so that I really get to heaven? Have I been good enough? Or maybe it's the opposite. I'm so bad i can't do enough i can't make it i can't do it i can't do it i can't do it i can't do it and let me tell you from the scriptures you're right you can't but christ already did so we want to listen to christ's condemnation his hard words so at the end of this sermon we can come out and not end up there this is a warning and we need to take it as a warning very seriously. So your first blank there, if you are a moralist, if you are a moralist, first point, if you are a moralist, you miss the point of Christianity. You miss the point of Christianity. Look with me um, there in verse 42. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe the mint and rue and every herb. So in other words, by the way, these guys are farmers. They were talking farm country out here. So these guys have their mint and their herbs and all this kind of stuff that they cook with. And they are picking out one out of every ten leaves of these things and turning it into the offering plate. Number one, some of y'all who have gardens, I want you to mess with the stewardship committee and do that this summer. Just see what they do. But that's what they're doing. All right. They're, they're picking out one out of every ten leaves, one out of every ten tomatoes, and they're putting it in the offering plate. I don't know what they did back then. They probably had a box, I think, is, is mo what most synagogues had. But they're putting that in there. For you tithe the mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. So Jesus is saying, you have missed the whole point. Oh, by the way, for those of you who are from Ethiopia, rue, that's one of the primary spices of Burberry. I had to throw that in because I know we've got a few um, folks from there who love that spice mix. So Jesus, Jesus gets you, all right? Um, that's the spice he names off. He says, you don't get it. The whole point of the Old Testament law is seeking the justice and love of God. If you're not getting when you read the Bible that God absolutely loves you, you're misunderstanding it. If you're not getting that God calls you to justice, not just keeping a set of rules and justice, not meaning that bad guys get it in the end, but justice, meaning equality. 
both economic and racial and every other form. It means seeking opportunities for the poor to come out of poverty into a life that you or I would want. It means embracing the rejects if you're at school. It means loving the immigrants among us. It means going outside of our social or economic group. It means loving your neighbor. It even means loving your enemies. Justice and the love of God are big, huge things. And I don't know about you, but I don't stack up on that list. But you know what? I could probably pull out counting tomatoes. Do you see what these moralists have done? They've taken on the task and the law that they could handle. You know, every one of us have our group of those people. And you know what makes them those people? They struggle with the sin I don't. Like, oh, I'm good on this one. I'm not a liar, so those people lie all the time. For them? Oh yeah, we tithe. We're not like those people. And Jesus says, oh yeah, you are. You are those people. Look there again, verse 42. These things you ought to have done. By the way, Jesus doesn't say morality is bad here. Please don't get the wrong message. God calls us to follow Him. But He calls us to follow Him because of what He has done, not follow Him to get His approval. And so what Jesus says here is these things you ought to have done, you should tithe, in other words, without neglecting the others. He says, don't miss the point of Christianity. The point of Christianity isn't a set of rules. The point of Christianity is Jesus Christ. The point of Christianity is Jesus. It's Christ. Christianity. And so if you have a Christless Christianity, even though you might be able to sign a list of doctrines that you believe and a list of things that you do, you're not a Christian. Christians are people who love Jesus Christ. Who trust Him Completely. So if you're a moralist, you miss the point of Christianity. But number two, if you're a moralist, look with me in verse 43. If you're a moralist, you're arrogant. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. You see, if you have a list of rules that you have to keep, and that list of rules, if you keep them, makes you right before God, As soon as you've checked the boxes, guess what? You made it. And those people have not. Moralism produces arrogance. Produces pride. You start wanting people to see you're keeping all your rules too. I mean, the whole hand-washing thing, it's pretty showy. I mean, there's no way around it. Um... In college, I got to go to Jerusalem on a study abroad. And I went to the Wailing Wall, the places where the Jewish people pray. It's the last remaining stones of the temple that they can get to. And over at the side is a washing station. And I saw men go in there 
I didn't see the women go into theirs because it's also the restroom. So, but, but men, I mean, they're, they're, it's, it's very showy. And then these people walk out and they're loud, obnoxiously loud as they pray. It's a show. I don't think any of you this morning were making a show in the bathroom. And then, you know, when we had our prayer time, you know, none of you were louder than Matt when he prayed or anything like that. How much of your life is a show for the person sitting two pews? Pews, I I don't know what's in two rows over. How much of it is a show? How much of it is a big old sham? And your life's just falling apart and you know it. It's, it's, it's just fraying at the seams. And you're putting on the, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good. It's pride. It's moralism. It's arrogance. And, and it's pulling you from Christ. Because Christ says, bear one another's burdens. Christ says, love one another. That show will keep you from your brothers and sisters walking with you. So if you're a moralist, you've missed the point of Christianity. You are arrogant. Verse number 44, you are contagious. Verse number 44, woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the laws in the Old Testament that, that praise God, we don't have to keep was that you are not to come into contact with any dead thing. Um, this was to show a purity, show that God is life. And, and so death, it's not from God. That's from our sin. And so you stayed away from death. And, and if you were unclean, you couldn't go into worship. And so worst case scenario for somebody going to worship is they buried somebody across, you know, wherever they're walking. You walk over them. You're now unclean. You go to worship. You don't even know it. You've sinned before God. So what Jesus is saying here is you Pharisees, you moralists, you you people who are missing the point of Christianity because of rules or, or regulations or trying to be good as opposed to trying to love Christ. said you you are catching you're going to infect somebody else with this. And by the way, isn't that exactly what we do? When I was in a deep, deep, dark struggle with moralism, and legalism, I tried to tell everybody else what they should be doing too. Even though I knew I was barely holding my head above water, in all my sins. I was trying to tell everybody else what to do too. Sometimes we, we have that pet issue of it's got to be like this. You've got to worship like this. You, whether that's raising your hands and being very emotive or being very stoic, it doesn't matter. We can make a law in our own hearts out of any of it. If you're like this, you're better. Maybe it's legalism. You know, we, we've preached hard against legalism. You, you hear that from me most times I'm in the pulpit. But do you know you can be a, a moralist, a legalist against legalism? Oh, we're not that. Yeah, you are. The moment you've said, I'm not that, 
And you've condemned it. And you've spread that to others. You're passing on the bug that half the people who should be here this morning are hacking with at home right now. If you're a moralist, you've become contagious. And no dose of Tamiflu will cure you. Only the blood of Christ. So, number four. Verse 45. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. By the way, if Jesus is handing out condemnation, don't talk back. I mean, just fair warning. All right, that's bonus. You don't even need that from the sermon. So another group, these are the lawyers. So they, these, these are the guys who keep the list of rules. All right. And he says to them, woe to you lawyers also in verse 46, for you load up people with burdens hard to bear, but you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Number four, if you're a moralist, you are making everyone around you miserable. If you're a moralist, you are making everyone around you miserable. I'm that guy. Um, through junior high and high school, I lived this. This was, this was quite literally waking for me. All I thought about was the rules. And you know how many friends I had? None. Y'all know that person that drives you nuts because they're always telling you the wrong thing you're doing? The moralist, the legalist makes you miserable. Because they're always telling you what you should do better and what you're doing wrong. But the reality is, how often are we guilty not leading with Christ and grace and love, but you ought to. Now, it doesn't mean we don't confront our brothers and sisters, but we confront them on genuine sin. Not how they were worshiping. Not looking down on someone because of how they pray. We care about one another and we do get in each other's businesses of church. Flat out. This whole, you know, isolationist, individualist thing, that is American, not Christian. We love each other well. But it's not for the sake, oh, you've got to be better like me. And it's for genuine sin, not that thing that we've made up that you ought to be following this way. So when we go at each other about something that's not in Scripture, we are this lawyer that Jesus is saying, stop making everybody miserable because you tell them what to do and, and you won't even do it yourself. If you're a moralist, you miss the point of Christianity, you're arrogant, you're contagious, you're making everyone else around you miserable. Number five, you kill God's messengers. This is a hard word. Look with me in verse 47. It says this, Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your father killed. So This is not metaphorical. They are literally building marble tombs right outside the temple around the prophets who were stoned to death. I mean, they're like big mausoleum... I mean, they're huge. Some of these are, are ornate buildings, bigger than a house. Um, and they're all there. I mean, you can go see them today. They're still there. Woe to you. 
For you build the tombs of the prophets whom your father killed. You are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers for they killed them and you build their tombs. Jesus is kind of turning on it. They're saying, oh, no, we're building the tombs of the prophets because we love the prophets. It's so horrible. They were killed. And what are they doing? They're, they're celebrating the fact that they were killed. That's not maybe their intent, but that's what they're doing. And, and keep going with me because he, he twists it even a little more. Therefore, the wisdom of God said, this is verse 49, I will send to them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute. So the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation from the blood of Abel. This was the first person in the Bible to be murdered. This is Genesis chapter four. All right. It's the very beginning here. He was killed because he, he followed what God said to the blood of Zechariah. This is the last book of the Jewish Old Testament. They, are, they have the same books. They just arrange them in a different order. Second Chronicles is their last book. And this is one of the last stories in the last book of the Bible. So he's, he's basically saying from Genesis to Malachi, yeah, you killed every one of them. Who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. What was this generation about to do? What were these very Pharisees and lawyers about to do? They were about to crucify Jesus. They were about to stand in the streets and scream out at the top of their lungs, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate, heathen, another country, foreign judge that was over them, said, what up? I mean, he sets up the no brainer. I'm going to give you this horrible, rotten, dirty dog criminal who's a thief or I'll let Jesus go who you love and is really nice. Let the thief go. Foolishness. Craziness. And Jesus says, you're killing God's messengers. I.e., you're going to kill me. See, moralists, rather than embracing being so grateful for the fact that Christ died for our sins. Our sin was laid upon Him. He took it to the cross. He bore the sin. Before that, He lived a perfect, righteous life fulfilling every one of God's laws. Every single little dot. Jesus did it. Rather than saying, thank you, Jesus. They're saying, crucify Him. And so by our acts, of trying to be the good little boy or good little girl who God will like, we are nailing nails in the cross of Christ. Condemning Him rather than embracing Him by faith. Our good works won't get us there. Last thing. If you're a moralist, you miss the point of Christianity. You're arrogant. You're contagious. You make everyone around you miserable. You kill God's messengers. Last one, you're sending people to hell. You're sending people to hell. Verse number 52. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. Key is power. When you, when you read it in the New Testament in the Bible, it was, I mean, it, it is. Think about it. You can get into somebody's house with it. It's power. It's control. You've taken away the key of knowledge. You didn't enter yourselves. You hindered those who were entering. 
In other words, not only are you sending yourself to hell, you're dragging everybody else with you. The greatest weights I think that could ever be on anyone is to have kids and to know the truths of Scripture. And want them to believe the truths of Scripture and to come to know Jesus. And yet, what if we tell it wrong? And Jesus is saying to these moralists, yeah, you're getting the message wrong. And because you're getting that message wrong, people are going to hell. It's that serious. And I think about how often in my parenting, much as I want to do right by my kids. I tell them, do this and do this and do this and do this. It's not that I don't need to do that. It's not that we don't need to discipline our kids. There is a moral law that, that's going to go, their lives are going to go better if they follow it. But what are they going to hear from me? Is it do this? Don't do this? Or is it Jesus loves you? Jesus died for you. And He rose again. Trust in Him. Turn from your sins which are misery to Jesus Christ. That's what repentance is. And trust in Him. So what do we do? What's the solution? The solution to legalism, the solution to moralism is not forget the law, do whatever. The solution is Jesus. The point of the Old Testament is Christ came for you. He gives you His Holy Spirit. L listen to some verses. Matthew 33, 35-40. One of them, a lawyer, asked, same guys, a question him, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Which is the most important little dot I need to put on? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So what's the solution to moralism? Love God. And because you love God and He's loved you, love other people. Trust Jesus. The person, not simply a set of beliefs. Yes, 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 check. I'm good. No, trust Jesus. True Christianity is both grace and truth. It is the person of Christ coming to you and the truth of Christ coming to you that you are a sinner. But it's that married together that we trust in him and live. True Christianity is about Christ is to know Jesus himself. And that's the invitation to you today. Not do this. It's no Him. Let me read you one other passage to illustrate this. Galatians 5, 16-26. This is Paul. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. In other words, if you want to be moral, you want to be holy, walk in the Holy Spirit whom Christ gives freely as a gift when you trust Him. And then it goes on, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, the desires of the, 
desires of the spirit are against the flesh. They are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. In other words, all the dots and tittles are not what you're worried about. You're getting the point of the law of Christ and his love, justice and the love of God. Remember from Christ's words. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgy, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Again, it's not immorality that we're preaching. It's Christ who brings morality. But listen to where he goes. But the fruit, singular, this is one thing, this is what just comes out of you, of the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Here He ties it all together. And those who belong to Jesus Christ, you know Jesus Christ, have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep step by the Spirit. In other words, don't just start by Christ saving you, applied by the Holy Spirit. You walk that way. That's how you keep going. So the call today is trust Christ. Love Him. Seek Him. Savor Him. We're about to sing a hymn. I'm going to go ahead and ask the uh, the worship team to come back up. It's one of my favorite, favorite hymns. Um, it's called Rock of Ages. I, I want to read one of the later verses. It says, not of labor of my hands. In other words, not my works, not what I can do. Can fulfill the law's demands. Could my zeal, no respite. No, in other words, zeal, passion. If, if I had no break in my passion ever. It didn't even falter. Could my tears forever flow? I was so convicted of my sin, I never stopped crying. All for sin could not atone. Thou must save. And thou alone. And that's the call today. And I, I want us to end today with this song as a prayer. We, we normally pray here. I, I want us to pray here, but I want us to sing that prayer. I'm going to say, rock of ages, clap for me. I want us to run to Christ. And flee from a moralism that will condemn us and those around us.